Welcome to the first edition of the new podcast format for Ayahuasca Talks. I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden, and to learn more about me and my work, please visit RebeccaHayden.com. Previously, I hosted Ayahuasca Talks radio show, and on that show, people shared their ayahuasca journeys. In these new podcast episodes, we'll be discussing the ways in which our beliefs and worldviews have changed since our experiences with ayahuasca and how we think about and approach life differently as a result and how this different approach has impacted our lives and our relationships with ourselves and others. Um, I'm going to introduce my guest now. Joining us today, we have Dr. Shaojae Hu, a psychiatrist who has a practice in New York City, and she's exploring the world of plant medicines and discovering the therapeutic value of them and the experiences that come out of them. Hi, Shaojae. Hi, Rebecca. Glad to be here. Great. And we're also joined by Dr. Rachel Harris, who is a retired psychologist who has written a book called Listening to Ayahuasca. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Rebecca. <laughs> so I'm just going to uh, kick off the discussion by talking about um, finding our new normal with ayahuasca. So during a very memorable experience with ayahuasca, I received an insight in the form of a message that was phrased somewhat like this. You are going to have to find a new yardstick to measure what is considered to be healthy or normal. I'll put normal in parentheses because we often equate normal with healthy. Um, and if we were in a healthy society, our normal would be a reasonable yardstick to use. But ayahuasca helps us to see that we are not. And so we must uh, look for new yardsticks. And uh, finding and adjusting to this new normal can be quite a challenging process, but ayahuasca is our ally in this process. And all of this reminded me of an Einstein quote um, that goes something like this, we can't solve our problems with the same kind of thinking that we used when we created them. Mm. And, uh, and I think ayahuasca helps us to develop this new way of thinking. Uh, and for many of us, it, it's not only helped to solve our problems, but to bring our attention towards how we create them and in doing so help us to stop recreating these problems. Is that something that you can relate to? I'm wondering if you can kind of share experiences you've had along these lines. Well, I, I love that you use that phrase, how we create our own problems, because uh, I think Freud's phrase for that was repetition compulsion. <laughs> that that uh, well, I got a laugh from the psychiatrist that, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that whatever patterns get established in our family of origin, they become familiar. They become our 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 set normal from growing up in that family, no matter how crazy that family was. And then we replicate those patterns out in the world. So we find someone who will reflect those patterns back to us and we we live through them again always with the neurotic hope that things will come out differently which of course they they don't seem to yeah that's as, right as in never <laughs> so so this is one of the standard clinical ways that we have of thinking about how we create our own patterns so just a a a, a basic example of that is um I live on a remote island where there's, like many islands, a lot of heavy drinking. And one of the heaviest drinkers has a grown daughter, and she married, guess who? She married a he very heavy drinker. <laughs> and so the whole island, those of us educated and not educated, sophisticated and not sophisticated, everybody knows you know, from the main fishermen, the lobster fishermen know, we all know, well, she married her father. Oh and right. So there's the there's the repetition compulsion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um in fact, I think Shao Jay and I have talked about this because um uh it's separating the idea of normal with familiar. Hmm. You know, it's like, oh, but that's normal in other words, and we often use the word normal when we really mean we're familiar. Well, we're right. implying, we're also implying healthy, as in this is good because it's normal, right? <laughs> and it's like, no, it's familiar. Let's, let's examine whether it's good or not, right? Let's examine whether it's healthy. Right. 
Right. right, right. Yeah. And I think a lot of therapy is trying to help people see those patterns, um, which are often, you know, pretty unconscious when we're enacting them. And so we all have these blind spots that therapists help us to uncover over time. But I think the power of plant medicines is that they kind of also show us in a very visceral, embodied way, sort of like what we look like on the outside a little bit to kind of help shift our perspective as well to see what we're actually doing, you know, kind of uncover our blind spots more, more efficiently. Right. This is something that you can't, it's, it's different than a friend saying, Hey, you know, you're really kind of doing this a lot and here's how it comes off. And then the focus becomes on the friend. Oh, wow. They're jealous or they're insecure right. or they're this, or they have it in for me or whatever. With the plant, you just, you know, there's none of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a, a great perspective um, to be given. But I'm wondering if we can think about ways in which this has actually happened to us and how that's played out. Anybody willing to take a look at that? <laughs> well, I, I had a huge repetition compulsion in my, um, I had one devastating um, ceremony experience and um, in Costa Rica. And this is what I call a, a bad trip that I worked on long enough for it to become a good bad trip. That's as, <laughs> that's as high up as I could go with this bad trip. And what happened to me was I felt like I was dying and that the two shaman and the couple of shaman helpers were all in league together to kill me, basically. Oh, goodness. And oh, wow. that went on all night. And I, I'm not... Uh, you know, I know friends who have gone to the jungle, you know, decades ago, and they've trained to become shaman, and they've slept on the floor, and you know, on the on the ground of the jungle on leaves. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like no toilet, no flush <laughs> toilet. You know, I'm not yeah. a warrior, and um, you know, I'm not cut out for this sort of thing. And so, at some point in the middle of the night, I just sort of keeled over and gave up. And said, okay, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And I wish I could say, and then I went into this wonderful mystical experience, <laughs> but I didn't. I just fell over onto a mattress and, and um, went unconscious or went to sleep eventually. And so the next morning, I, I woke up and I wasn't really awake. I wasn't back. And huh. these very shaman and shaman's helpers took one look at me and began doing healing energetic work on me to help me. And I and what's occurring to me as a psychologist, I'm sitting there and they're rattling and they're, you know, doing God knows what. And I'm thinking, I, I thought these people were trying to kill me. Now they're trying to help me. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this is my stuff. Maybe this was my projection onto them. Mm. And that's what turned that as I worked on that, that's what turned that into a good trip. A good, well, a good bad trip, never a good trip, but a good bad trip is that I was able to take responsibility for my own projections. That right. I, I, my paranoia was mine that I projected onto them. Um, they were not trying to kill me, <laughs> just to be clear about it. Right. So, have you found like moving forward in your life? I mean, this is familiar stuff, not from the experiences in ayahuasca, but these themes, no, this you is, know, this is from my childhood. This theme is from my childhood. I so, had, yeah, I had an older brother who, as grown ups in, in family therapy sessions, because you know, you're talking to a therapist, so. Therapists often have years and years of therapy under their belts. In a family therapy session, my brother admitted, yes, I was trying to kill you. So, wow. this, so this was not sibling rivalry. This was pathological. And, and so this is what I relived that night. It was a pretty rough night. And I would say it took me most of the next year to come through and out of it. Wow. Yeah. So when you, how you approach life now when you feel these familiar feelings um is is that something that signals you now like i've had experiences like that where i start to feel things going on socially and then i go oh wait a minute i got to be aware of what i'm feeling and why you know yeah i like that word signal yeah yeah i'm much better to pick up the clue that i'm that it's my projection and that it's i i, I don't 
I don't jump to the conclusion that what I'm thinking is the truth. So do, do you find that ayahuasca has helped you with that? Because um, I know that with your book, it's about people's ongoing experiences with ayahuasca. And, you know, this wisdom kind of stays with us and has different ways with different people of showing up. Do you, do you ever notice that, that this is something that's playing out with you with that theme? Well, you know, when we have a strong theme like that from childhood, and that we've grown up in, in a dangerous family, I, as a psychologist stepping back, I can say, that's not going to disappear. And, and my um, immersion in that during an ayahuasca ceremony was, uh, it, it wasn't that I learned something new, but I, I had to, I was confronted with it in such a, a, a real, a, an alive experience that I had to meet that history of mine in a new way. So um, I realized I'm much more sensitive to my own tendency to, to, to replay that and to, and to imagine that someone's, and to be paranoid, to imagine that someone's intending to hurt me in some way. I'm much more sensitive to catching it. Or what was the word you used? Um, Signal signal that I catch it as a signal and I know oh wait a minute that's my stuff it's like a heightened awareness I think that ayahuasca gives us in fact I wonder sometimes when people come out of these experiences and they say oh wow I feel even more depressed than I did before and I'm thinking I'm wondering if that's just their heightened awareness of certain things that they need to work on or there's an opportunity there to work on because I've felt that myself and, and it's, it's quite alarming when, you know, you, you approach these plant medicines saying, okay, I want to deal with my um, depression. And then ultimately you end up feeling those, those deep, dark things, you know, but, <laughs> but there's always an opportunity there, you know, there's, there's a reason that you're feeling them. And, and even that, like when I start to feel that way now, in any way, any dark feelings that are really pulling at me emotionally in harmful ways, I go, okay, I, I, I got to not fall into this trap of, of, you know, living there and, and taking myself out of this and saying, wait a minute, this is, this is familiar. I know this is an opportunity for something I need to work through. Yeah. And I think that's also one of those paradigm shifts that plant medicines help us see. Cause I think like, you know, from like the psychiatric conventional medical paradigm, it's sort of like any pain or depression or anxiety, something to be kind of fixed in a way, like in terms of just, you want to get rid of those negative feelings. Yeah. Um, and I know therapy tries to work more with that, but I think the world of plant medicine also really teaches you that like not to be afraid of these emotions or that, you know, emotions have uh, their own purpose. Like there, there's a message there and you need to kind of deal with that. Like, I guess the ultimate goal is not just to like feel good. Like you might feel better ultimately but you still have to go through you know whatever this depressive feeling is trying to tell you or something yeah absolutely so i think the question is what can i learn from this what is this feeling um wanting to teach me oh yeah exactly yes um and in fact this is a yardstick in and of itself um just you know, before the plant medicines, when I was feeling this way, it's like, oh, I'm sick. And then now when I'm feeling this way, it's like, oh, there's something I need to heal and I have an opportunity to do it now. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big shift. That's a really big shift. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, um, it's not as though I don't sometimes fall into that trap to a certain degree, but there's, there's always, I always end up in a place where I go, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I know what's going on now. Okay. And then I can, you know, use my attention to say, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to use this and I'm going to work through it. So, so like, I, sorry, go ahead. So I just want to say two sort of more general things about what we're describing. One is that one of the things ayahuasca uh, leads us to do is to be more accepting of a wide range of whatever comes up, whatever comes up out of our psyche, whatever we experience. There's a wider range of acceptance. And there's a shift in perspective not to avoid the difficult things or the shadow things, but to see them as an opportunity for learning and growth. Right. And so there's sort of a, 
um, you know, in the West, we, we think a little bit more of healing, but there are some uh, indigenous communities that think of that it's a plant teacher to think of that a, a teacher that there's learning and education going on and what is the plant teacher trying to teach us. So there's some actual learning happening. Absolutely. In fact, um, another thing that has come up for me uh, from the very beginning was, you know, generally speaking, when we're in pain, um, you know, in our society, we just like, okay, make it stop. I don't care where it's coming right, from. Right. You know, just put a bandaid on it. Yeah. Let's make it go away. But um, now, um, you know, there's, there's this different understanding, you know, that, that has to do with, wait a minute, this is an opportunity. This is something that I need to know about. There are times that we're faced with, as you were, Rachel, with this like awful experience. I've had some pretty awful experiences myself. Um, and I, ayahuasca was very much guiding me. So I understood kind of that this was something presenting itself for a reason. But I said, you know, why do I have to see it? Why can't, why can't you just heal me? You know, <laughs> because I mean, how does that work? <laughs> well, it, it became an education. Like there's a very unique um, way in which ayahuasca deals with each of us. And she, she kind of knows the ways to reach us with me. Education is big. Like I, I never thought that I was into education because the regular school system was certainly not for me, but I am just have endless curiosity about this stuff. And so she will sort of approach it from that way. There's lots to learn. There's, there's this whole world to discover, you know, and it's like, Oh, okay. That's tempting. <laughs> More. And then she just makes it known to me that, you know, there's wisdom in, in the fact that I have to face this if I'm going to heal it, you know, so I, it won't be healed unless I'm willing to see it for what it is. That's part of the healing, you know, and that was another big shift too. She, she can be tough. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, yeah. it's it's become one. It's a strange thing because it's changed my whole reaction system. You know, when something is signaling me, and and depending on, of course, my vulnerability at the time and all kinds of factors. But there are sometimes when I go, ooh, you know, it's like okay, there's something that I can learn here. You know, and there's part of me that is a little upset with myself because I'm learning something about myself that is either not good or not healthy, but there's another side of myself that's going, Oh wow, this is going to open up to something really interesting and deep, you know, and that appeals to me and she totally knows how to hook me. <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel like it's uh, like led to like overall positive changes in your life or like overall feeling better? Of course, but you know, mm -hmm. I lose perspective and I don't know if you guys can relate to that because uh, and, and, and I've brought back to perspective by ayahuasca. She always kind of reminds me, okay, let's look at where you were a few years ago, a year ago, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes even a month ago, because I'll have worked through something pretty significant. But when you're continually in and out of the throes of these, these deep healings, and they often involve you taking a look at things you've got to do differently, uh, you know, there's part of you that just thinks, oh my God, I'll never get it right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, and, and it, there's a bit of a roller coaster effect. You know, there are times I'm riding high going, woohoo, you know, I did all this work and doing great and then plunged right back down into the next <laughs> issue, you know. So, sure, on and off. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I think it also teaches you how to like ride the waves a little bit better too and not, not be totally drowned by all the darkness. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. And there's other times where you go, oh, okay. Um, I find <laughs> that that darkness continues when I resist. If I actually mm. give into it, it, mm -hmm. it, then things move forward. Have you found that, Rachel? Well, um, I guess I, I was listening for something just slightly different. It might be related, but I was listening to the shift of being in the dark place or recognizing that this is a time of a dark place and that it's going to lead to something much better. So that there's sort of a shift in perspective that, well, right now I'm down, but I know I'm going to come up and this is for my higher good. Yeah. Um, and so one way, uh, you know, I interviewed a lot of people when I did, uh, when I did my book and when I did my research article, and this is years ago now, maybe six years ago. 
And one guy said, I still have anxiety and depression, but I don't worry about it so much anymore. And, and, <laughs> so, and so you hear that shift. You know, I know it's going to come up and this too shall pass. Mm, and yeah. so there's less, that person is less likely to be drowned in those difficult uh, feelings. That's actually a tremendous um, shift because when you think about it, it's almost like accepting um, that there will be times that previously we regarded as illness, but now we can see like it can come and go mental illness or mental states like colds. You know, and if we don't, we don't attach this heaviness to it because the heaviness will drag us down and, and make it last longer, you know. Let, let me mention an example of this that's totally unrelated to ayahuasca and or psychedelics. And that is, and I don't really know how this started, but, um, you know, schizophrenics have mostly, I'm, I mean, florid schizophrenics have mostly been medicated to try and quiet the voices and reduce the symptoms. And somewhere along the way, uh, they a, a number of people with a schizophrenia diagnosis, and I think this happened in England, banded together and said, we don't want to be medicated out of our voices. Ooh, that's so and cool. And so there's actually an organization of people with diagn- a, a schizophrenia diagnosis who are saying, you know, I just have a different relationship to my voice. My voice is not torturing me like it used to. Or if it begins to... I know about this voice. I know it'll change. It'll shift. I have other ways of dealing with it. I don't have to be totally medicated. So you hear again, that same shift to a difficult inner problem. And it's a different relationship to their own brain chemistry. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Xiaojie, we've talked (laughs) about this a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, I think one huge paradigm shift for me was just even opening my eyes to the existence or possibility of other dimensions to reality other than, you know, consensus reality, right? And so schizophrenia, like we don't really think too much about, well, what do these voices mean? I know I've heard of shamans talking about how sometimes it could be like, I don't know, other spirits or whatever. And I mean, I, I don't know what's actually happening. You know, we only know about the neurochemical part of it. Um, so it's interesting and it's actually an ongoing question for me too, to explore what is actually happening for the schizophrenic, you know, um, and, but it sounds like developing a different relationship to all of those voices is very useful and much kinder. Yeah. Than conventional treatment. And a similar theme is running through this, this acceptance and saying, okay, this is here. Let's work with it. Let's find out what's going on with it instead of just shutting it out, you know? Right. Yeah. Because I think the conventional paradigm thinks it's more fear-based. It's all about like controlling behavior, uh, preventing risk. I mean, you do want to like prevent people from hurting other people or themselves. Right. So there's definitely that. And I agree with that. But then, you know, it's, it's hard. Conventional treatment doesn't go very much beyond that, you know. Yeah. The containment. Right. Right. Which is necessary for certain periods. But then how do you move forward? How do you grow from that? So um, I I know that we had talked about this because of this ongoing relationship that I now have with, you know, what I regard as ayahuasca, because that's the first experience that I ever had of this voice, you know, Um, and, and you are asking me all kinds of questions. And I'm sure that you are in your (laughs) psychiatrist's mind trying to relate this to (laughs) what goes on there. Is she crazy? Yeah, (laughs) right. And, and Rachel, I mean, you must have some interesting perspective on that too, because I'm sure you've seen so both sides of that as well, right? Well, un- unfortunately, I still live with both sides of it. So, um, you know, I have literally heard what I think is the voice of, of the plant spirit of ayahuasca, sure. the grandmother ayahuasca, the spirit of ayahuasca. I mean, and I've followed her um, advice and her encouragement. And I feel like she helped me with the writing of the book. And, and I feel like I have risen to carry out her mission. 
with this book. So I'm very invested and connected to hearing the voice of, of Grandmother Ayahuasca. And I don't hear it that frequently. And I've heard it both in ceremony and out of, you know, totally disconnected yes. from ceremony, months and months outside of ceremony. And I've never heard a voice like this before. It's not like my own inner voices. And what is it? I mean, I, it's not like I have a good answer for that. Yeah, I know. I think and, we're all still yeah, marveling. I, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a Westerner, and this is beyond my realm. But if I, if I can, I've gotten better at staying with the mystery, but that's as close as I get. Yeah, I think that it's the, that way for me, too. I mean, we have to create our own container our own sort of idea of what it is our own relationship with it and i know that there may be people out there that want to solve that great mystery but you know and i wish them luck but i suspect it's it's that unique you know it's there are similarities that we that we discover when we talk openly about it which is a big leap it was for me i'm sure it was for you too rachel yes yes <laughs> but um yeah. You know, once it's out there, you discover other people that have this going on. And of course, you discovered many, which was great. I'm so glad you wrote that book. Mm. <laughs> um, and then you realize, like, it's, it's a very personal thing, you know. So let me just give you the data. And, and that is, uh, before the book, I did a, a research study. It was a, partly a survey and partly I was able to compare two groups. Uh, ayahuasca, people who had been in at least one ayahuasca ceremony, and people who were um, experienced a, a traditional Catholic retreat. And uh, I asked the ayahuasca subjects, 81, which is a good number for a group, 81 people, and these were all people who'd had an experience of ayahuasca in North America. And um, I asked them, do you have an ongoing relationship with the spirit of ayahuasca? And 74% of them said yes. They had an ongoing relationship. And they communicated with the spirit of ayahuasca in their dreams, in their meditations, in their quiet moments when they thought of her. They would turn to her for advice or, or counseling or guidance. And um, it was a relationship where they felt accepted and supported and basically loved. Yeah. 74% with a plant spirit. So I have to say this blew my mind. Of course. Yeah. Um, and yet these, are, these are all Westerners. And yet you've experienced it yourself too, right? Yeah. Somehow that didn't prepare me for the data. <laughs> <laughs> it's always different when it's yourself. It's, exactly. <laughs> I was going along with it until I realized, oh my God, it's three quarters of the people. Well, you know, there is, and, and this brings up the bigger question. So we're all experiencing these shifts in our lives. And then there's the bigger shift. You know, there's kind of the, the environment that we're all inhabiting with these big changes and shifts going on. And, and what a ripple effect that, that that's having. Because for every, for every kind of shift that ayahuasca takes me through, I can see a relative equivalent in a larger, on a larger scale in society, you know, in a way humanity is one being, right? <laughs> and, and if it's sick or, you know, behaving badly or whatever the case may be, you know, there, there are these parallels and, um, you know, the book. Do you, do you have an example? Right. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. Um, I think that uh, one of them that I, that I wrote about and I'm, kind of um, re-editing this, this article that I, that I put up on my website was about punishment. Um, ayahuasca has really tutored me a great deal about this because when you're learning about things that you're doing uh, in, I'm going to put this in quotes, wrong, which is not really wrong. It's just, you know, something that's unhealthy or it's not working out for you well, not serving you. Um, I had a tendency to just kind of beat myself up in my mind about it, you know, and it was getting in the way of our work because it was just creating these long periods where I had to adjust and get over all my, and, and I was creating more problems in the process, right? <laughs> Being so down on myself about it. And I really had to get it together there because it, it was just getting in the way. And I, I was experiencing this a lot and it's like, okay, this is the nature of the work. You're going to have to learn about these things and you're going to have to, you know, not beat yourself up. So then there's this education about punishment in itself and, and discovering how harmful it was and ineffective and how it permeated my, 
experience um, all the time, inner and, and outer, right? Um, and then I thought about how, how prevalent it is in, in our society and the way that we, that we live, you know, and that um, it's just, it's such a part of our, our culture and many, many others. And then on an institutional level, you know, jailing and all the rest of it, it's just, it's not effective. It's never worked. We know that, you know, right. It's, it's never inspired people to be better. It's, you know, housed people in places where things are so much worse. And it's a really revolutionary um, idea to actually take people who have done wrong. Like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, ayahuasca is pointing out this wrong or bad behavior, whatever. And to love them and to say, okay, how about we go about showing you what love is and showing you how to do it better by, you know, by example, you know, um, incarcerating somebody is certainly not giving them an example of healthier, nicer behavior. You know what I mean? Um, and, and treating them to therapy or to opportunities to, to really grow and change is a very different way of looking at it. In my mind, I was jailing myself and abusing myself when I thought of doing things wrong. And ayahuasca changed my thinking around that. And then, of course, I couldn't help but see the implications on a larger scale. Yeah. And do you feel like they, um, in terms of the experience of love, were you able to experience it like in your body, like experientially, or it was more like a dialogue where they were telling you things in a more loving way? A lot of these things, as we've discussed before, are so nuanced. Do you, do you find that too, Rachel, where you're getting these messages and it's almost beyond words? Um, I, I need to get hit over the head. So I, I, get, head, <laughs> I get pretty clear headlines. Mm. So no, I'm not getting nuanced messages. I get, I get big headlines. You screaming. get clobbered. Okay. I get clobbered. Yeah. All right. Well, again, she knows how to Everyone's read different. Right? Yeah. Well, for words, she used words a lot with me. Um, and then at, at, and, and there's a lot of love. And of course there's, there's such loving words, you know, we love you and all of these things, but I got used to them. And I also find ways to twist around words and twist them into other things. And this is another unhealthy habit that I've discovered. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, and there was a, a shift where they moved beyond that into just sort of helping me to feel certain things and, and understand it in a way without words so that there was no way to, to wriggle out of it or to manipulate it with my mind, you know, and play those games. So yes, you know, in the end, it became very clear that um, through those nuanced um, messages and the, that those feelings, it was just like, it, in the end, it was a, a clobbering, but of a different nature. <laughs> and it just landed on me like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. You know, mm. if we hit children when they hit other people, all we're doing is reinforcing that saying, yeah, you know. So That's do you feel that it's made, uh, that it's... Um loosened up your self-critic the part of you that was so judgmental and critical oh yeah must have done i it, just ironically of course I'm, I'm that much more hyper aware of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah right there's that yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah so now i'm just i'm just really aware and i guess for me it's like ooh, oh yeah i'm doing that again but I, I have to stand back and go, okay, but a year ago and two years ago and three years ago, it would have been that much worse, you know, and, and we don't flow through things, but we didn't flow through things back then the way that we do now. And when I say we, it's just this active working with the guidance of ayahuasca. <laughs> okay, look at what you're doing. Your plant spirit. Yeah. Well, I, I think the key is in that standing back, that that's the shift in perspective. Yeah. So that, so that you can see to what extent you can look at your self-critic, you know, and over time and say, well, it's not like it used to be. I have a different relationship to it now. Right. Um, that's, that's something when, when that happens, when um, I feel that ayahuasca is asking me to kind of do that, if I don't do it myself. In fact, yeah, this is what's happening. She's asked me to do it so often. Now it becomes automatic. I start doing it without waiting for that to happen. So, yeah, a lot of those things are becoming automated in my mind. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting developing better habits for sure. You know, now that I'm thinking it through, it's like, yeah, I'm recognizing that.
for sure. Um, and I'm thinking about this too, that uh, another big shift, and I think many people experiences this, is um, when you run into difficulties socially or in relationships, instead of focusing on the other person, you focus on yourself. That was huge for me. Yeah. I mean, what? is that something you can relate to? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it goes back to like owning your own stuff or owning your projections and stuff like that. Yeah. And also, um, like kind of owning where you have power or where you've given your power away. Cause I guess sort of like blaming the other person is kind of saying like they have all this power to make you feel bad or to do all these things to you, as opposed to like, you're also kind of like allowing them to play a certain role and you're playing another role to facilitate that. Yeah, there's a couple of things like going on there. Like there's the partici their participation in what's happening. So you're part in it that way. And then there's where the focus lies. Like if it lies on them, of course your power goes because, you know, suddenly you're trying to figure another person out. And well, from what I've learned from ayahuasca, it's like it's going to take me the rest of my life to figure myself out. So I doubt very much I'm going to be able to do that for someone else. And how is that going to help me? You know, it's like teaching, you know, thinking that I can teach someone else to drive and then getting behind the wheel and hoping that it'll go. <laughs> I can't do the work for another person. Yeah, definitely. Well, the, the time element in that, if I can pick up the, what you just casually refer to as, you know, working on this the rest of my life, <laughs> you know, this sense of this is an ongoing process. And um, I, you know, I've been to enough psychedelic conferences now that when I know on the schedule the veterans are going to speak, I get out of Kleenex because I know, you know, they are going to speak from their hearts. They're going to speak about the hell that they've been through right. and how they have worked, you know, to find alternatives to some of the heavy, you know, I mean, some of the veterans have said I, I was on 20 medications at one time. Oh my goodness. Yes. So, you know, we know that's too many. So, um, <laughs> You know, and, the, and just knowing what they've been through and their heartfelt desire to heal and their, and their courage to be warriors in healing. And so I know I'm going to cry. And uh, the last conference I was at, they talked more about their, um, it was very interesting. They used, the, the whole concept was they used, it was a four people, a panel of four and a psychiatrist interviewing them. And the veterans talked about using marijuana to get off of the psychotropic meds to deal with pain and to, to get them off of the side effects of the psychotropics. And then they said, for the depth healing, we've been doing ayahuasca ceremonies. Mm -hmm. and, and working on what comes up for us, working on what we learn in the ceremonies every day. And mm -hmm. so they really gave, they really communicated this sense of process and integration into daily life and what's required in this process of taking back our projections, to, you know, owning our own power, taking responsibility for how we see things and what we do. And so they really communicated the sense of healing is an ongoing process that takes time. It goes yeah. on and on. And it was, it was really quite moving. And, and when they're speaking from their hearts and they've been suffering for decades and give this sense of the work involved in healing, it goes way beyond what's talked about casually as, oh, after ceremony, you integrate by going to a yoga class or <laughs> go for a walk in the woods. There's this sense of ongoing healing process that the person takes responsibility for. And as a, a, someone who's been a therapist pretty much all their life, I mean, I'm very interested in that process of inner work and the work we do with ourselves and how it changes over time. And if I can just go back to that um, good, bad trip I had that we talked about earlier, is I just want to say it took me most of a year to get to the other side of that experience. I mean, and it is still with me because it hit such a core issue in my life. But it took me, uh, I would say, about seven, eight months before I felt like I was really... Um, that I'd really recovered from that ceremonial experience itself. So I just want to acknowledge that there's work that goes on outside of ceremony for a very long time. Yeah. 
And, and, you know, um, there was, a, a, I mean, it's so important to acknowledge that because I think that, again, that's another mindset that shifts, you know, actually, I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, recently about this, calling it a medicine and our relationship with medicine, this expectation of overnight so-called success and the idea, does it work, you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, actually, we're the ones that have to do the work and, you know, <laughs> right. And, right. and how we feel about medicines and our relationship with it. It's just, I don't think they're actually looking at, at calling it something else because of this <laughs> misinterpretation. But, you know, I think people are going to either get the hang of it, uh, you know, or not in terms of perceiving it as a medicine. But um, a teacher is, is also a very good way and accurate from my experience way of looking at it. And that's the ongoing stuff and, and understanding that those two go together, you know? They, yeah. They want to learn. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like this also opens like um, all of this kind of shifts the paradigm from, you know, like in traditional science, it's very logical, linear, you know, there's a, a timeline, uh, clinical trials are based on, you know, well, how many months is this going to be effective for, et cetera. Um, whereas this kind of work, it's much more organic and you just don't know how long something's going to take because it's, it's almost like watching a plant grow, you know, mm -hmm. it's like you just don't know exactly how long it'll take to blossom, if it will blossom, how to recover. Um, and so kind of just shifting from that very logical linear part to a much more body, heart centered, intuition based that for me at least was also a big paradigm shift thinking of things in that way much yeah. more. And and I'm sure that there's a, a frustration, right? Like, I mean, at me at the beginning, it's like, I, it was, it was, I, you know, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to call it agony at times. There, there is, there is an agony that I have felt <laughs> going through these experience. You mean in the ceremony itself? Not even just that. I, I've done dietas and, and I have had those experiences like, you know, in real life, you know what I mean? So instead of the whole imagery that you experience in this place where everything's controlled, it's like the live version, you know, you're, you're reliving yeah. some of that. Remember you mentioned, Rachel, that we keep kind of pursuing what we're used to, you know, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of conflict in my family growing up. And so, yeah, I've been living it. And then ayahuasca taking me through the painful steps of recognizing, you know, <laughs> my part in it and all of that. And the creation of it and the, the sickness of it. And, and it's sometimes I, when you're in it, it's, it's very, very challenging. It's very difficult, you know, because you want to run to ways of coping uh, from the past, you know, and, and yeah. now it's like you're being asked to not do that anymore. Um, so it, it has been, it's, it's been really, really difficult and, you know, such a deeply personal experience. And it is frustrating at the beginning when I experienced this agony, I would say, okay, when are we going to be done? You know, <laughs> and, and there was never a response to that, you know, I mean, never, yeah. right? It's just totally inappropriate. It's like, I don't know. I mean, you know, when it's done, right? And, and eventually I would find myself riding those waves and realizing that that's just the nature of it, you know, and, and that's a, a massive shift. I wonder when people are approaching this scientifically, if they are willing to take that leap, you know, I mean, I understand that their approach is, you know, by definition, trying to contain things and, mm. and in a certain way. But I wonder if there's room to approach it scientifically and also respect that organic aspect of it, as you call it, mm. um, and, and, to, and to acknowledge that that's, that's certainly an aspect of it that needs to be you know, recognized and, and respected. I, I think the closest the research studies come to that is in terms of uh, the follow-up, whether it's a six-week or a six-month or an 18-month follow-up. And um, what data do they get on the, on the longer term follow-ups begins to pick up some of those kinds of changes. Yeah, and, it's, and, it's like a progress but, report. <laughs> yeah, sort of. And, and what they're finding is that, um, that if, if, the, if there's a relief of depressive symptoms, it, that they held, that they, um, there might have been a dip after a couple of weeks with ayahuasca especially, but basically they, they held. And so um, people who are having what they call, a, what Hopkins 
Johns Hopkins calls a complete mystical experience. They, the benefits of that are still present 18 months later. Oh, yeah, I can appreciate that. I, I can because another thing I realized is that, and, and I think that this speaks to, you know, so many of us in our experiences from early childhood and all the rest of it. If we have no experience of something, we have no frame of reference to it. And when we experience this embodied love and all the rest of it, yeah. then at least we, you know, talk about a yardstick. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have it. I didn't have that before. I've had experiences of love, but never quite like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a totally different experience. And I think that that's so valuable to at least have had it. And can, can yeah. you say more about the experience of embodied love? Can you, do you have any more words for that? Um, so people, uh, I guess um, when you were mentioning the deep mystical experience to me, um, a, a lot of what people describe as a heart opening, mm. uh, I, I immediately came to mind when you were describing that. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that to, you know, be a valuable new brand new frame of reference. The fact that these mystical things can even happen, I think is, is extremely valuable for those of us who never dreamed of it before, you know, but, um, heart openings are amazing because you know it it suddenly gives you a frame of reference in terms of a a great state of love of being in that state of love and i didn't even actually have one that i fully recognized or recalled within the ayahuasca experience i had it months later at home and it was so amazing. I'm like, oh, wow, this is exactly what they're talking about. And, mm -hmm. and I thought everybody wants to feel this way. You know, it, it felt so wonderful. And I realized, and this is also, I think, what people think of when they say that they're high, you know. And I know that this has been such a controversial thing. But um, I, when we feel good, we may describe it as being on a high. And I think we have a very unhealthy idea of all of that. What's wrong with feeling good? Feeling good is a great thing, you know. When when it came to you, when you had that spontaneous experience at home, were you under the influence of anything? No, nope, not whatsoever. I was okay. I was anticipating doing my very first talk, and I was very nervous. <laughs> and I think this was um, a gift that ayahuasca just decided to to give me, and it felt so wonderful. And you know. Again, just the experience of knowing that that's possible right. and feeling it for yourself. That's an incredible yardstick. And, and it's useful also to our work together because when I find myself in different states now and, you know, ayahuasca, recently I went on a, a trip with my mom and um, I was on a boat with a lot of older people and um, I just could tell that they're that they had, you know, very different views on things than I did. I knew this for sure. Um, it was a cruise and, and um, at night when we would share tables together for dinner, there was a lot of talk about military and things like this. And, um, and at the beginning, I, I had such an attitude, you know, I just did. <laughs> it was there. And ayahuasca was, you know, counseling me and basically saying, you know, at those wonderful times when you experience all that great stuff and you, you vow, you know, that you want your life to be about love and about all of these things. Well, guess what? Here's your chance. This great opportunity. And, and then when I thought about all of the things that we, you know, all of those things that I mentioned to you about just different views and things, she said, you know, you have so much more in common than you don't, mm. you know, you're all human, <laughs> you know, try, try to reach people on that level, you know, instead of, you know, and then, and this is a great lesson about focus, right? If I was focused on all that stuff, yeah, that's where it would all go. But there's a way to reach beyond that into that, which is common to us, that which is where, where we're deeply connected, you know, and it was a choice for me. So I, I think that's a pretty wonderful example of integration and learning. <laughs> yeah, that goes on a yeah. lot. <laughs> and it works really well when I don't start to go, oh my God, I'm such an attitude person. It's like, oh wow, this is a great opportunity. And and I did take that opportunity. And it was a challenge, but it was also wonderful. And in the end, I feel like I accomplished something. I felt like um, 
I don't know, a distance runner who, you know. <laughs> yeah, you did something challenging. Yeah. <laughs> and it was beautiful. It's like, see, look what you can do. It's like, wow, I really did that. <laughs> We're actually coming uh, to the end of the hour. And uh, I want to do a couple of things. I think I should mention this before signing off. It does happen to be Halloween today. <laughs> and I was chatting with Rachel earlier about the fact that there's um, this originally, well, there's an original Gaelic celebration called um, Samhain that I think became Samhain and ultimately Halloween originated from, from this uh, pagan celebration. And uh, it was, you know, I just did some research online and from a few different places and it's just basically a time of year um it's around the harvest which of course all cultures i think celebrate in some way um, but there's also this understanding that um that it's a time when the veil is lifted between the spirit world and the regular world and that um that um, ancestors of the departed come to visit their former homes and that also there are darker spirits that are released and I'm thinking, when I was reading this, I was thinking, yeah, there's another massive shift because of our experiences with ayahuasca. You know, somehow there's some familiar themes there. It's like, yeah, the idea of confronting, you know, these darker spirits or, you know, ancestors who's died doesn't seem so scary anymore. You can see great value in that, right? <laughs> Suddenly it's like, wow, you know, they really knew what they were doing back then. We're just catching on. <laughs> Anyway, I just want to wish everybody happy Halloween in whatever way they celebrate it. And um, I wanted to say how grateful I am that both of you joined me today. And I'm wondering if you wanted to let people know how they can get a hold of you. Well, people can email me through my website. And uh, the name is the name of the book, listeningtoayahuasca.com. So if they email me through that website, I actually eventually answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rachel Harris can be reached that way. And, and Shaojay? Um, yeah, people can uh, reach me through Facebook, I guess. Um, so, yeah, my name, you know, X-I-A-O-J-U-E-H-U. Yeah, and you can message me through there. Okay, so that's the spelling of her name. And for me, it's yes. RebeccaHayden.com. And you can also email me at Rebecca.Hayden at gmail.com. And that's it, folks. Um, thanks for joining me again, and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Thank you Halloween. both. Thank <laughs> you. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks, Shajay. Thanks, Rachel. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, Shajay. Thank you.